I have an intimate history with lying. When I was a teenager, I dated a boy who was too old for me. I was just starting high school and he had just graduated from high school. The adults in my life were understandably against the arrangement, but the flattery of an older boy being interested in me and my immense naivete meant that I thought they were wrong. They weren't. He was horrible. After the honeymoon period wore off, he started controlling who I could hang out with, what I wore, and how I spent my time. He drove me to school in the morning and picked me up directly afterwards so he could keep tabs on me. And he lied. All the time. About weird, unimportant stuff. He did it so much that I honestly can't tell you which things were lies and which weren't. Once when I was out of town, he called me to tell me he'd gotten a tattoo of my name on his ankle, but that if I didn't like it, he could go back and get it scrubbed off with steel wool. That is not a real thing that happens. But I was young and dumb, and so I freaked out, and I told him, yes, yes, go back and get it taken off. Obviously, when I got home, there was no scar there or anything. At the same time, I lied all the time, too. I wasn't supposed to be dating him, so I lied to my mom constantly. I wasn't supposed to be hanging out with my male friends, so sometimes I did, and I lied to my boyfriend about it. I'd cut class to be with him and lie to my teachers. I didn't want my female friends knowing how bad he was, so I'd lie to them, too. Something happens when you're drowning in this many lies. You start to lose your grip on what's true. For years after that relationship finally ended, I found myself recounting a story or spouting a fact and stopping mid-sentence because I couldn't remember whether it was something that actually happened or a fact that was actually true or something he had lied to me about. I mean, some of the things make me feel like a terrible person for doubting them like his claims that he had an invisible autoimmune disease or that a scar he had was a result of abuse. But that chapter of my life has no basis in reality. If I try to press it for answers, it just dissolves beneath my hands. This is all to say that honesty has become incredibly important to me. That experience led me to make a conscious effort to always tell the truth. And I can't tell you how much easier life gets when you don't have to remember the lies you told. Keeping your story straight just requires telling the story. But do I really always tell the truth? No, probably not. I tell people I'm fine when I'm having a bad day. I tell little white lies to make acquaintances feel better. I have marked drinks occasionally on the forum at the doctor's office at a time when I was definitely drinking more than that you probably have similar tendencies. But as it turns out, we all lie way more often than we think we do. And I'm here to tell you that that's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm Ashley Hamer, and this is Taboo Science, the podcast that answers the questions you're not allowed to ask.
Before we can answer whether lying is a good thing or a bad thing, we first have to answer, what kind of lying? Because there are a whole bunch of different kinds of lying. We lie for all kinds of reasons. You know, from the very benign, like we tell pro-social lies to spare people's feelings. A pro-social lie is a lie we tell for the benefit of someone else. Sometimes we tell that we think that we're trying to spare someone else's feelings. Really, we're trying to protect our own ego and not stand in like an uncomfortable space. But we also lie to protect like for ego reasons, some aspect of our identity. We lie for pure self-interested reasons. We lie when we see others lying. There's all kinds of fascinating research that we're more likely to fudge the truth if we see someone else doing it. You know, kids, there's good research that shows that kids are more likely to lie if they're lied to. So we lie really for a range of reasons, everything to do with pure self-interest to just not wanting to hurt someone's feelings. I'm Judy Kettler. I'm a freelance writer and I write for a variety of publications. And I recently wrote a book about honesty called Would I Lie to You? The Amazing Power of Being Honest in a World That Lies. P.S. Judy has generously provided the introduction and first chapter to her book for you to download. It's all in the show notes. Anyway, Judy had her own experiences with honesty that led her to look into this topic. I've always had kind of an interesting relationship with honesty. So going back to when I was a kid, I was, I would find myself frustrated with other people lying, like with others' dishonesty. But at the same time, I knew that I wasn't always as honest myself as I should be. And, you know, little things like lying that I had a boyfriend or lying that... You know, I had learned some move in gymnastics when I couldn't do it. I mean, they were not lies of much consequence, but I would feel intensely guilty. And so I had like that guilt for my own lies and then just my frustration with others' lies and hypocrisy. I was raised Catholic, so lots of hypocrisy all over the place. And I feel like that tug of war really stayed with me my whole life and just kind of like kept playing out in different ways until like 2016, 2017, when I found myself just so frustrated with the state of the country and the dishonesty that seemed everywhere. But it was that same thing. But yet I was like, well, how honest am I? Like it was that same tug of war kind of reinvented in an adult way. So I just wanted to dig into that relationship and really understand, you know, I want to live a more honest life. What does that even mean? What does it mean and what are the benefits of it? We all like to think that we never lie, or at least that we lie only when absolutely necessary. But as we're going to get into, what we believe about ourselves and what we actually do usually have very little in common. So one study, Bella DiPaolo, she studied lying a lot um, in the 90s and 2000s. And so her research found that we lie 20 to 30 percent of the time in our social interactions. Robert Feldman, who studied lying a lot in the 2000s, he found that in studies he did, 60% of people lied at least one time during a 10-minute conversation. Now, these are, you know, can these studies be widely replicated? I, I don't know. They're, they're just kind of guidelines, right? But the bottom line is we lie a lot more than we think. And they're not, sometimes they're big, ridiculous lies, you know, like Robert Feldman and his study. His studies was with students. And so, 
you know, some of the lies that students were telling each other were just totally preposterous. Like I'm in a rock band, I'm whatever, right? But they're young, they're students, you have to have context. For most of us, they're not lies like that. They're either kind of pro-social lies or they're just unexamined statements. So I think that's a whole category of dishonesty. It is dishonest, technically, because it isn't true, kind of goes to intention. So the, the example I give in the book is, you know, if you ask drivers, do you always look right before you turn right? They'll say, of course I do. But I know, and you know, as a runner, they do not, like very few drivers do it. I have like 30 years of evidence, right? Behind, almost getting hit. They're not trying to be dishonest or deceitful. It's just an unexamined statement, right? So that's like a whole category that is probably the most common kind of deception is just these things that we say on autopilot that we don't necessarily examine. And sometimes they don't have a whole lot of consequence, but sometimes they do. I do know as a runner, if you don't have the driver's eye contact, hand wave, verbal consent and a signed and notarized contract, you do not cross that street in front of them because they will mow you down and not even notice. But yeah, just saying something that you didn't fact check could technically be considered dishonest. I mean, some unexamined statements are barely worth examining. Like, there's never parking in front of my place. If there are cars parked there, that statement is obviously false. But most people understand that you're exaggerating. Nobody expects you to take a full inventory of all the parking spaces on your block before making that statement. But something like, I'm not a racist? That statement left unexamined can cause all sorts of problems. You may not want to be a racist, and searching your own thoughts and assumptions for racism, and even more, admitting that racism, that can be painful and open you up to judgment. Sometimes, unexamined statements are just a form of self-protection. And sometimes, that self-protection can also be self-sabotage. We'll get into that more later. Of course, not everyone believes lying is always wrong, or even cares. That comes down to a person's moral character, which Carnegie Mellon researcher Taya Cohen found comes down to three different elements. First, there's motivation, which refers to how much you want to do good, which often comes down to whether you consider other people and how your behavior affects them. Second, there's your ability to be ethical, or whether you're actually able to regulate your own behavior in a way that doesn't result in long-term consequences for yourself or anyone else. And finally, there's your moral identity. Do you value being a moral, ethical person or not? For an example, take this story from Judy of a pretty relatable experience she had at a fast food joint. You know, I talk about going through the McDonald's drive-thru just to get a Diet Coke and the cashier gave me an extra dollar back in change. And I had been irritated because like it was taking forever and I almost just kept the dollar. And then I remembered like, you're supposed to be paying attention to your honesty. (laughs) And so I gave the dollar back. And I'd like to think I would have done that anyway. I mean, there are people who are probably going to give the dollar back every single time, all the time, always. There are people who usually are, maybe sometimes they're irritated because it's taken so long to get the drink or or the cashier was nasty or whatever, and maybe they're not. And I'm probably like in that, I'd like to think I'm always going to give the dollar back, but the reality is 
I probably am, but maybe sometimes I'm not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and then there are people who are probably always going to keep the dollar, right? So there, of course, we fall along this continuum, and there is a fair amount of gray in there that's shaped by circumstance. But here's the big question: If lying is bad, should we strive to never lie? Like, live a life of 100% honesty, where you tell people exactly what you're thinking and you tattle on your coworkers. And when someone asks you how it's going, you say, I'm dealing with some pretty terrible eyelid eczema and the creams aren't working. Yeah, that sounds like a great way to be hated by everyone. So maybe striving for 100% honesty is the wrong way to go. I mean, this is kind of the, the counterintuitive thing, right, is that we say honesty is the best policy. You know, you tell your kid that. And then if your kid says something honest, but like horribly offensive to someone, you're like, don't say that, but you told me to be honest. So it's no, honesty is not always, it's a really important value, but it's not always the most important value in any given situation, right? So philosophers, they talk about the Nazi at the door. Immanuel Kant, who was a German philosopher said, lying is always wrong, categorically wrong all the time. Even if, you know, I mean, he could not have foreseen, obviously, the Holocaust. But so people have taken that and said, so by his reasoning, even if a Nazi came to the door to a family that was protecting Jewish people, that they should turn them over to the Nazi, right? Of course, that's preposterous. Lying literally protects people's lives. I mean, you could say the same thing about women fleeing domestic violence and get sheltered places, right? Lying can literally save lives. Lying can also, I mean, it can also kill people. So it's like there's these two ends of the spectrum, but we really can't say that honesty is always the right thing in any given situation because you can say it, but it isn't true. And so it's like you've got this contradiction inside. Of, like it's it's just... It doesn't allow us to have any really good nuanced conversations when we just stick to these cliches. And it definitely is not helpful for children because it confuses the heck out of them. If you grow up, you know, learning honesty is the best policy, but then you regularly witness people in authority lying, whether they're lying for their own self-interest or they're lying, you know, these post-social lies, you can't necessarily distinguish as a child. So it really kind of messes around with your psyche and it really prevents us from having these good nuanced conversations about lying. So, you know, one of the things I talk about is like, especially with kids, you know, if tell them, like tell them, make if they see you telling these little fibs or whatever, tell them they can call you out on it because it's actually a great chance to have a conversation because you might be doing something you didn't even realize, or there might be a really great reason why you are telling a pro-social lie. And then you can have a conversation with your kids about it versus just like saying these blanket statements that don't actually seem to be true to them, like empirically true as they're watching you. Like a great example is we were at Party City. I was at Party City with my daughter. This is before the pandemic, because obviously we don't go hardly anywhere now, but Party City they're obsessed with like every time you check out, they're like, can we have your email? Because they want to add you to their email list, right? And I don't want any more emails. And so I was shopping with her. I was checking out and the clerk was like, can I get your email? And I said, I don't have an email, <laughs> which is so dumb, right? My daughter, who's she's 10 now, she's probably like eight at the time. She like looked at me. And in that moment, I was like, 
that's so silly. Like, why did I feel the need to say something that was so clearly not true in front of my kid instead of just saying, I don't want to give you my email. You know, it's like we just swat these situations away with these little lies and we often don't even think about it. We're just on autopilot to say these things, but it's much better to just take the time and give an honest but kind answer, number one. But also when you have someone like little like that watching you and you're just on autopilot, you miss the opportunity to have these really great conversations. So that's one thing in really paying attention to honesty. It led to a lot of really good conversations that I wouldn't have had otherwise. One element that helps when you're trying to figure out whether lying is the quote unquote right thing to do in a situation is to think about your intention. Are you lying just to get out of an awkward situation or are you doing it to spare someone's feelings? But it goes beyond that, too. Judy says that good intentions matter, but refinement matters, too. That is, you need to be able to figure out the best way to smooth things over, and that may or may not involve a lie. In the book, she writes, you start with what's in your heart, but then you educate yourself and use your brain to figure out how to shape your response or your actions. And for a lot of people, nowhere do you need to practice that kind of refinement more than in your romantic relationships. Because as much as we say we want an honest partner, not everyone wants their partner to be that forthcoming about the details of their past hookups or whether you really do look tired today or how much they actually like their birthday present. You know, if you search, for example, like honesty in marriage, you get, you know, you get a lot of Christian pages to do with like Christian counseling and, and Bible quotes. And, and then you get a lot of things talking about um, the evils of infidelity. Like there's not a lot of nuance, right? It's because we have this idea like you should always be honest in a relationship. If you're not, it's bad. It's just this kind of simplistic idea that we have about honesty in relationships, certainly in marriage or long-term committed relationships. And it really does a disservice because, again, honesty is, it's not the most important value in every situation. At the same time, I think that in marriage or in our relationships, it feels like there's so much at stake. We have so much fear sometimes behind being honest. And so that really keeps us from being as honest about certain things that would really help grow our relationships versus like not every truth needs to be told all the time. And so it's like, how do you navigate between those things? There's not like one right way. It really boils back down to paying attention, right? Paying attention, get rid of all your assumptions about how honest you are, what kind of person you are, get rid of all of that and just start paying attention. Because when I did that in my marriage, for example, I realized I always thought I was this very low maintenance, like emotionally low maintenance person, right? And I realized that was just this thing I'd been telling myself for, for whatever reason that wasn't true at all. And it was super in the way. And I'm a self-aware person, but I didn't necessarily realize that that wasn't true until I kind of just stripped everything back and started looking at it. Some of this really has to do with being honest with yourself. And that's way harder than you'd think, because our brains are basically fortresses built specifically to protect our egos. The average person thinks they're above average, which, last I checked, is mathematically impossible. 
We judge our own behavior by the circumstances involved, but judge other people's behavior by who they are as a person. The less we know about a subject, the more we think we know about it. We think we're more generous than we are. You may also think that you're more attractive than you are, depending on how you measure it. It takes real conscious effort to see ourselves objectively. And honestly, it's not always possible. I actually wrote a whole video about this for SciShow. So if you want to know more, you can check it out in the show notes. There's a study by Zoe Chance, and it shows that we think that we're smarter than we are, right? And so if you have people take a test, and it's a hard test, they don't do very well on it. So they know their baseline. And then you give them another test, but you give them the answer key, but you don't present it like it's an answer key. It's just kind of like, it's like they just kind of discover it and they do better on the test, right? And so you ask them, okay, so you did the one test, you know, you didn't do as well. You did really well on this test. How do you think you're going to do on the next test? And they can see that the next test doesn't have the answer key. They still think they're going to do as well on that as they did on the one that had the answer key. And they don't. And then you ask them again, okay, here's the fourth test. How do you think you're gonna do on this test? And again, they can see that it doesn't have the answer key, but they still think that they're gonna do better on it. It's like, it takes three or four times before they realize, wait a minute, I'm not gonna do as well without the answer key, <laughs> right? And so, and then she did all different kinds of things where she played around with it even more. But every time it was that same thing that, even when the evidence shows that it isn't true, we think that we're smarter than we are. It occurred to me one day, like, you know, I say I'm not a drinker, but I'm drinking a glass of wine every single day. Every single day at 5, 5.30, I go get my glass of wine. Like, it's become a thing, like Judy and her wine, right? So I wound up writing this New York Times piece about, like, hey... A lot of us, we think that we're not drinkers, but we've like created this whole culture around drinking wine and women and their wine and mommy's wine time and all this stuff. I'm part of it. I didn't even realize I was part of it, right? And so I wound up like stopped drinking my glass of wine a day and I wound up losing weight and feeling better, like all these things. And now, I mean, I still drink a glass on the weekends, but in like thinking about that and writing that, it wasn't about not lying. It was about like, oh, let me look honestly at this facet of my life that I hadn't really looked at before, you know? So it was like approaching it not as, oh, I want to stop lying about this. It was more like, oh, this is a truth about this that I hadn't thought before. But we don't always lie to ourselves to save our egos. Sometimes it's just because the truth is too hard to face right now. The other night, my son, I was saying goodnight to him. And he said, um, he's actually in quarantine now because he, our kids have gone back to school. It's a small school system. They've done an amazing job with masks and there's been very few cases, but sometimes there is a situation. And so my son was exposed at lunch, which is like the one time they had their mask off and, um, School found out right away. So he's been home for about a week, week and a half. He'll go back next week. But, and none of us have had any symptoms. So we're like hopeful. But the other night he said, what if I get it? And what if you guys get it? And what if you die? And I was like, well, that's not going to happen. Because like, he's a 12 year old boy, you know, part of it is just like, I don't want to get into a big thing. Like, well, that actually could happen. Like, you know, like, I'm not going to say that to my kid. Right. But there is a significant part of me that's like, no, that's not going to happen. 
I have to believe that, right? Because if I don't, like, I'll walk around terrified. I mean, it's the same thing when we get in a car to drive. Like, we know, I know statistically at my age, if I die from something, it's probably going to be a car wreck. I mean, I don't know, I'm 46. There might be other things now. But I'm not going to think about that when I'm in the car, right? So, I mean, we have to have a degree of, like, magical thinking, I, I think. But how do you balance that with really understanding risk and what's real and what's true. And I mean, it's, there's not a easy answer. Like you can see when someone's gone too far and it's just totally deluding themselves. But then what about all those little lies that we tell ourselves to get through the day? I don't know. This is not easy stuff. Honesty is great, but lying is really useful. It would be great if all it took was carving a rule into a stone tablet and telling everyone that if they break that rule, they'll live in a volcano for the rest of eternity. But it's not that black and white. There is a lot of gray area here. If you really want to get up close and personal with honesty, you have to be able to hold these different things in your head and not judge them against each other. So like honesty, it is so important and so crucial. And the dishonesty in this country has killed thousands of people. I mean, it's done all kinds of damage. At the same time, we can't walk around being brutally honest with each other because that's not a way to have a society, right? So it's like you have these two separate things and you have to be able to hold them in your head together and understand how to still function and still be like a person who lives with integrity and alignment. And it's, it's not easy, um, but I think it's worth doing because I do think for me, it, I do feel like in doing this work, I don't feel that same tug of war that I felt for most of my life because now I'm like, okay, I am paying attention and I'm not going to be afraid to be honest in these situations where I need to be honest. I'm going to go ahead and stand in the uncomfortable space. I'm going to do it. And so I'm much better at that now than I was before. Is the opposite also true? Like, are you, do you feel better about the lies that you do choose to tell? I think so. I mean, I feel like that I talk about this in the book, a man got in my lane in the middle of me trying to swim laps and scared the crap out of me. And when I went to say like, sir, that's not, you know, it's really not the etiquette. You need to like make eye, even more than eye contact. You need to like verbally make sure a swimmer understands you're joining their lane because you can't see anything when you're swimming. And he was so embarrassed and I felt awful. I mean, not awful because I needed to tell him, but I felt his shame and so I said, oh, don't worry. I did the same thing when I started swimming. And he felt so much better. And then I felt better. And, you know, I hadn't done the same thing when I started swimming because it seemed obvious to me, like, that's dangerous. <laughs> but I felt good about that lie. Like, I didn't feel bad about it. I felt like, oh, I didn't want that man to feel, you know, embarrassed. And I wanted to ameliorate that a little bit. And so I felt okay about that. And there are other things I could have done, too. Like, I could have said, don't worry about it. Like a lie wasn't my only thing, but it was kind of what I reached for. And I was aware, but I didn't feel bad about it. So just like working through it, I think is important because there'd be other times when I might reach for a lie because I was afraid someone was feeling embarrassed, but really they needed to know the truth, right? So 
in paying attention, I can tell the difference between those better now than I could before. Yeah. I think I can feel okay with a lie, but it's hard for me to wrap my head around the idea that that's okay. That, you know, like that there are lies that are okay to tell. That seems unpopular, right? That seems like to just say like, there are some lies that are good and there are some lies that are bad and you should feel just fine about telling the good lies. Yeah, and you know, I had this great conversation with Lizzie Post who runs the Emily Post Institute. I think Emily Post was her great, great grandmother. She's lovely. We just had this great conversation and and she doesn't believe and pro-social lying. So when I told her the swimming story, she's like, well, that's an adorable story. And I totally get why you did it. But she's like, you know, you wouldn't have had to tell that lie. Like you could have done this. You could have done this. You could have done this. Because what she says is when anytime you say something that isn't true, you create like a story. And then sometimes you have to keep up with the story and you wind up getting caught in it. And so, you know, her thing, and really the kind of what the Emily Post Institute says um, is that you want to try to focus on what you can say that's true. She says it's a sidestep. So if someone is like, they're all excited, you know, they have a new whatever purse or dress or suit. If it's a man, I don't think men really do this kind of thing. And they're like, oh, I just love my new purse. Don't you love it? Instead of saying no, (laughs) If you don't love it, you say, oh, I love when I when I buy something and I'm excited about it. I love that feeling like you try to build the interaction in a positive way with a sidestep instead of just outright saying no. Right. Because you want to be respectful. You want to be kind. And I think that's valid, too. I just think for me, I do realize there are times where these little fibs are probably what comes to me quicker and. I'm probably going to reach for that before I can think of something else to say, you know, like I just know it's kind of one of the tools that I use, but I also don't want to use it in a way that is getting me out of having an awkward conversation that needs to happen. Cause I think that I did that way more before. Whether or not being honest all the time is a good idea, we could probably all do with being honest more often. And if you're up for that project, you can try doing what Judy did. She started an honesty journal. I mean, it was very low tech. I just opened a Google document and started writing down every decision I made throughout the day about honesty. And I did a Google doc because I could do it on my computer. I could do it on my phone if I was like on the go. A person could also do a journal, regular journal, but electronic is just easier for me. So I just would, you know, sometimes I'd stop if I could in the middle of what I was doing and write it down. Sometimes I would just reflect at the end of the day. But I basically just tried to notice every single decision I made regarding honesty. And when you do that, you start to see there actually are a lot of decisions you make in any given day about honesty. Like, how honest am I going to be here? How honest am I going to be here? How honest am I going to be here? So when you pay attention, you really start to, you start to see the different categories. Again, the unexamined statements, the more pro-social lies. There were a fair amount of those just like self-interested kind of fudge factor situations that I don't know how much I would have paid attention to before. 
in the book, I kind of tackle honesty in the different going through the different areas of life. So if someone is listening, and they're like, Oh, yeah, I don't I want to do this, I want to be more honest. That's what I would recommend is kind of like, pick an area and focus on it. It's kind of the same advice that you would give anyone if someone wants to get in shape, you don't say, well, here's 20 things to do. Like, no, like just walk 10 minutes a day, start with that. It's kind of the same thing with honesty, like pick an area, you know, a relationship with a coworker or with your spouse or with your kids or on social media, start paying attention to your social media. I mean, that, that alone would be, you know, just pick an area and really pay attention, go deep there versus thinking you have to suddenly tackle every single relationship in your life because that could feel overwhelming, especially right now when we're already dealing with enough stress. <laughs> so pick a thing and focus. Thanks for listening. Taboo Science is written and produced by me, Ashley Hamer. The theme was by Danny Lapotka of DLC Music. And like I said up top, Judy Kettler has provided a free PDF of the introduction and first chapter of her book, Would I Lie to You? The Amazing Power of Being Honest in a World That Lies. You can find a link to that in the show notes. But also, the book was just released on paperback last month, and you can find a link to buy that in the show notes, too. That's it for me. The next episode, we're diving into childbirth. Catch you later.